The Boat Row Bullies Podcast, starring Connor High, Izzy Glick. We are back. Izzy, how are you? Um, I'm good. I'm good. Um, a little disappointed, obviously, with our Sixers. But outside of that, I mean, life is pretty good. Working, healthy, That's living. That's good. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, we haven't been on for a little bit. I will take the blame for that one. Uh, once the playoffs started, uh, Colleen, my fiance, tested positive for COVID. And then there was like a week where like I wasn't sure if I tested positive for COVID. And then after that, I think it just didn't feel like the timing was right with the Sixers games and when we were actually supposed to podcast, just based on our work schedules. Yep. So I think we both were kind of like, you know what, we'll let the playoffs play out a little bit. And here we are. We're out of the playoffs. Uh, second round exit yet again. Um, and, uh, you know, I said it when we got when I got over here. Uh, I'm glad that we waited a week till we recorded because, as we kind of both agreed, I think this podcast would have been like three hours long yeah. if we angrily started yelling what went wrong with the Sixers team. But now that we've had a week to kind of regroup, refresh, I feel pretty good. Still angry, still frustrated, still dead inside. Yep. But I at least now can probably reel it into about an hour's worth of time. Yeah, no, I, uh, you're 100% right. My, uh, my wife will be the first one to tell you that I like viciously assaulted our pillows <laughs> watching the final game. What was that, game six? Game six, yeah. Um, viciously. I mean, threw it to the ground, punched it, screamed in it cried in it i did everything but make love to it oh boy uh, yeah i was i was all over the place i mean i was screaming at my tv um but yeah it, it's you're 100 percent right and us waiting a week to kind of uh be able to speak with a little more clarity uh in terms of just not seeing red as in seeing what the actual problems with the roster are uh, with coaching potentially, you know, all that fun stuff and being able to kind of ball it up and keep it into about, you know, right around an hour. Um, lots to talk about. Uh, we'll touch on, obviously, the Sixers playoff run. Uh, like we said, we didn't do anything in the playoffs uh, podcast-wise. So we'll touch on the Raptors. Uh, we'll touch on the Heat. Uh, and then afterwards, what I'm a little more excited about um, is what we would like to happen in the off season, uh, as in players coming in, players going out, potential coaching changes uh i will be the first one to tell you that i am head conductor on the uh get doc out of here train so choo choo (laughs) everyone can hop on uh first stop uh jay wright's house uh but yeah i wish oh man Uh, what let's start there all right because and let's let's backtrack a little bit actually let's backtrack a lot let's let's start with the raptors so the Raptor series, I was actually impressed with Doc because I actually thought he had a good series. Yeah. There were some maybe questionable things, game, uh, game five, no, I'm sorry, game, games four and five. Yeah. Uh, and maybe even a little bit six. I mean, they still smoked him. But there were some questionable things with those two games where I'm like, eh, like I'm a little worried. Yeah. yeah that, so when we got off to that 3-0 lead, and things are going pretty good. We're feeling great because we just smoked them two games in at home. Embiid hits the, the game-winning you turnaround. Know, turnaround three in Toronto. And you're thinking, all right, this is great. And then 
the double agent of the NBA, Scott Foster, goes, keeps the series going just a little bit longer, which is fine. I'm good with that. Go back to Philly, game five, and we lose again. But, like, in those two games, honestly, even in game four, I would argue Philly was not ready to play. No, and so, to me, the overlying factor to what contributed to the Sixers' playoff loss, or exit, um, was just a lack of like urgency and importance in the games they were playing. Now, obviously, it's really hard to sweep a team in the NBA, so yeah. I didn't expect them, even going up 3-0, to you know, take game four um, and you know, give it a sweep. Uh, if you recall, both of our predictions for round one was a 4-2 Sixers win. Right. Um, but like you said, games four and five, it just didn't look like they realized what, like, hey, if you if you keep your foot on the gas and if you keep going, like you're you're it, the series is over with. You get a longer break, you know, more time into the next series, which in hindsight would have probably really helped, considering yeah. how in Game Six we looked gassed. Oh, we yeah. looked awful against Miami in Game Six. We looked awful in general. I yeah, think yeah. most of but, the, the series against Miami. But yeah, um, Doc was questionable like you said games four and five what i will say um a lot of people gave doc a lot of a lot of crap um for keeping him beat in late in game six which caused that orbital fracture i don't fault him for that just because I forget, we were up big but it was like six or we seven minutes just, left. we had just gone on the run yeah like literally like i know we went up 29 at that point and it, there was like four minutes left yeah but like we had just gone up big we just widen the gap because we went on that hot streak and how many times and it's i will i will give doc the benefit of the doubt here because you're coming off a, a year where you just blew two 20 point leads yep so being up 29 and you just went on this run why are you going to take out the starters yep because you know if you take out the starters and toronto starts to make any sort of comeback then you're going to have to get the starters back in and then you're scrambling yep and you know he's going to catch the heat for that. No, yeah. So it's a lose-lose situation for him there. So I will give him that. Yeah, but I mean, even like when we take the next step in, so we kind of covered the Raptors series and where we were a little disappointed in. Uh, overall, it was a good series, obviously. 4-2 win, moving on to the next round, playing Miami. Uh, big news to start this, the series is Joel Embiid, right orbital fracture. Uh, timeline is... Uh, what's there the was no for? there was no timeline. Yeah, there was, was no you know we'll check in and see how he is because he suffered that bad concussion along with the orbital fracture. Um, Can I just say real quick um, from a Philadelphia sports standpoint? Let's let's backtrack to to game. What was it? Game six. The fracture. Game yeah, six. Game six. Um, that night was also draft night. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> the yeah. The Phillies played earlier that day. Yeah. The Phillies won. Yep. All right. And then the Sixers win the playoff game. Yep. We have this huge draft night. We draft Jordan Davis, and we draft or we trade for AJ Brown. Yeah, for the we uh, we joked with each other uh, that like this is peak Philadelphia sports right now. And boy, was that the truth! Because yeah. literally the next day, yep, the Eagles. I don't think they really popped up in the news that day, which nope. was fine. Or no, they drafted. Um, they drafted that center out of yeah. Nebraska when everybody wanted Nicobe Dean. So I had the potential to go downhill, but we eventually got Nicobe Dean. Um, but the Phillies actually got no hit that day. Yep. And then the, the report comes out like an inning before they got no hit that Embiid about broke his face fra- and yep. has a concussion. So, like, you want to talk about just all crashing back down to earth? Yeah. 
the one thing as being a Philadelphia sports fan that I have realized very quickly, very quickly, is good things don't happen to Philadelphia. No. I mean, you talk this season with Joel getting hurt. You can talk last season with Joel being hurt. <laughs> you could talk the season before that with, with Ben, ben Simmons being hurt. hurt. And then you can go on and on about... I mean, the season before that was when Joel... Was that his other... Yeah, wasn't it? Well, uh, uh, the original the Raptors. Uh, again, no. Was, the original orbital fracture. Uh, no, that was, that was the year before. Okay. Uh, but so, anyway. But there was him getting sick in the playoffs. Yep. Because game three against Toronto, they were up two to one, and you're like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this yep. can't get any better. And then Joel, it looks terrible game four because he's sick. And then I think that kind of lost all momentum. Yeah. The year before, when we played Miami and then Boston, Boston, we actually, I still think we could have won that series. Uh, if game three plays out any different, like if Marco Bellinelli's foot just wasn't on the line and we win on that shot, then that's a 2 2 series. After, you know, it's just a very different series. But no, I mean, it's, it's frustrating. But at this point, I'm just kind of used to it. Like yeah, I'm watching, you, I'm watching Miami play out. All right, and I the the Embiid injury, and you go into games one and two, and we look bad. We actually look competitive in the first half of the of game one, which was fine. Yeah. But then Miami was just the better team; they broke away. Game two, we just looked bad all around. Yep. And you're just like, this can't keep happening, and I don't understand why it keeps happening, and it's so frustrating. But then you get that that hope. When we come back to Philly, Joel is like, hey, I'm back. Yep. And he looks decent. I'm not going to say he looked good. No, so... But I think just his presence alone defensively Well, and I think they only gave up, what, 79 points in that game? Like, uh, like it was like, something... It was like low 70s, was, I think. Yeah, like something crazy. Yeah. So his presence alone defensively was enough to help. But you could see it very quickly. Um, the, big, the big issue... Wasn't necessarily the thumb. Wasn't necessarily the orbital fracture. It was the fact that the concussion was so bad that he couldn't do anything mm-hmm. for six days. So he was a little out of shape because, especially when it comes, you know, playoff times late in the season, you are all about trying to stay healthy, try to stay right. at your peak physical performance level. So when you take a week off, and now he didn't take it, he was forced off. Um, you're gonna slack a little bit, and you could see it. Uh, and then moving forward, his his jump shots just didn't have the arc. No. Um, that one I actually credit more to his thumb. Yeah, but, I would I would agree with that. But I mean, he just didn't. I don't know. He didn't have that like sharpness that he had all season. And that's definitely he, not a knock against Joel. No. I mean, that man put his entire life, body, and soul onto the court, and he does it every time he steps on the court. Um, but I it's just I was livid, and as I found out, not really for good reason. Uh, when Joel, it looks like, got hit in the face. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Game five. And my guy is, like, rips off the mask. He, you can see he's, like, visibly crying on the court. Yeah. I, I I thought for sure he was done. I thought, well, I thought he was done, too. It looked like P.J. Tucker had, like, caught him in no, the face. No, it wasn't even him. It, it was, was the uh, ball. It was. Um, he hit the ball, and the ball came back and hit Joel in the face. It, it wasn't P.J. It was their backup center, uh, uh, Dwayne Dedman. Yeah. Was it that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, because they came up for the rebound. Joel 
secured the rebound, and then Deadman went to kind of swipe at it, hit the ball, and then the ball hit his face. And, and then Doc gets teed up because, like, you're thinking, all right, it, yeah, looks, like, it looks like a play where you hit him in the face. You're, def- you're trying to defend your player, which, I'll, I'll give Do- again, I'll give Doc credit where credit is due. Like, yeah. that's, that's what I expect out of you. If your star player looks like he gets hit in the face, I expect you at half court yelling at someone. I don't care who. You're yeah. yelling at someone. Yeah, no, I mean, in that instance, I'd be getting teed up, too. Oh, I'd, I'd possibly be getting injected. I might be throwing chairs yeah. on the court. Um, but it looked like, especially from that moment on, because that was fairly early into Game 5. Yeah. It looked like that moment on, Joel was not anywhere no. close to the same. Then there was another play, I forget if it was Game 5 or 6, where he jumped into the crowd, and then like it looked like he injured his back. And then Game 6, I mean, he just kept going down, and I don't know why. Like, I know he used to have that issue early on in his career where it just he was always falling down, and he seemed to have that issue again Game 6. Was it, it – it almost looked like it was more like – and I, I'm, I'm going to be this guy, and I love Joel for it, but like, hey, I'm just going to try and fall and see the call foul. Like, try and flop yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it, it more so looked like that than yeah. Joel just, like, walking around with two right feet. Yeah. Like – it just it just looked like he was trying to because every time it was like oh I got bumped oh this oh that yeah there was like maybe one or two where like he like took a funny step and fell yeah but like I don't the announcers on TNT or whatever the game was it was on ESPN on, I'm not gonna lie I, I turned off the volume they just kept oh they better check on the floor the floor yada yada like yeah. oh Joel's fallen so many times he might have hurt the floor and I'm like man just shut up like you don't get paid to like talk like like about this you're you're paid to talk about the game like. And what the game is. Like, yeah. yeah, a player falls down. It happens every single game. Like, I spent literally like eight minutes left in the third quarter on through the rest of the game because I was so fed up with the game. At that point, you knew they weren't going to win. In dead silence? Yeah, in dead silence, but also arguing with. So I wasn't even watching the game at that point, but I was just arguing with people on Twitter, as you probably saw. Yep. Uh, about because everybody was putting it all on Joel. And it's how Joel doesn't show enough effort. Or Joel, you know, is always hurt. And it's like, this was a freak injury. My guy is literally diving out into the into the stands. He's diving on the ball or on the floor for loose balls. Like, he's hurt. He is very visibly hurt. He played 44 minutes in game six. I don't know what more you can really ask for him, especially with him being hurt. You can't ask for more. And they're saying, like, oh, because of his body language, it, you know, sucked the mood out of the rest of the team. But they've been doing that all season. Yeah, it wasn't Joel. It wasn't Joel. Joel could be running around like a madman, and they weren't going to give him no, anything. If, if, and that's that's what the team said afterwards. It's like they lack that mental toughness. Because how many times did we get beat on offensive boards? So, well, so there was... Many times. In game six, down the stretch, we, I mean, we were still, we were losing by like 20. Yeah. So it seems like guys just gave up then and there. But there was a Miami possession where they put up like two missed shots. Yeah. And PJ Tucker came down with the offensive rebound, like over Joel, over James. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It was just so frustrating to watch because it looked like they were just so disengaged. And part of the reason why I cannot. I have a hard time really faulting Doc for this series, to be honest with you. I, there's some questionable stuff, but like it looks like, especially from like the effort out there. Like I know you're supposed to say like the coach is the one that's supposed to get the effort out of the guys, but you can see him like on the court, like when they're doing the TV timeouts and they're showing the clips of him. He's literally begging them. He's like, guys, like come on, like fight for this. See, I'm in the opposite boat because I I'm a big believer that. That energy, that intensity, that 
t- mental toughness has to come from your coach. It has I, to. I was thinking more so like it's got to start with the players. And I think Joel even said it. it's like you can only blame management and, and the coaches so much for this because a lot of it boils down to just mental toughness, wanting it more. Well, yes. But I think, and again, this is just, this is just how I am. Yeah, yeah. I think that has to be instilled from your coach day one. Yeah. Of like, and, and I'm sure... Like, and I'm not, like, I don't know what Doc has said to the players in the locker room, behind closed doors, all that mm-hmm. fun stuff. But, like, it's, whatever he was doing, it just didn't seem like it was working. Right. And so here's, here's like, what I would tell people that I would talk to about, you know, get, like, the comparison of, oh, like, what does Jay Wright bring if he ever ends up in Philly as the head yeah. coach compared to Doc? And if you go look at every Nova team that um, Jay Wright has coached, they even had, like, they've had, like, good players but they've never had like a bona fide star. They're a very Jay Wright like killed it from a system standpoint. Yeah, like, he is all about the system, mm-hmm. and it is flawless. But but his big 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 points as a coach are perfecting the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Everything basketball related, as in your passing, your shots, you know, your rebounds are perfected to a T, and just like the grittiness, the Every single player is going to do every single little thing. Every every guard is going to be trying to get offensive. You know, just like this, this like the stuff that goes overlooked in the box score. I mean, that's what Jay Wright teams do. And I feel like, and now this, again, this is just a hypothetical in my head. Uh-huh. If you sub out like Doc for Jay Wright at the beginning of the season, you get more of this mental toughness. You get more of this we're going to go get this win or take this win Yeah, more so than you would with Doc, who I feel like sits on a little more of a pedigree just because, oh, he has an NBA championship. Oh, he was voted in as one of the best, you know, top 15 coaches of all time or whatever. Right. And, like, I get that. Doc is a good coach, but that doesn't necessarily necessarily mean he's a good coach for the situation, if that makes sense. And that's that's just where I sit. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think with Jay, the one thing that does concern me a little bit with Jay is he's never... Like, you look at all the players that come out of Nova, and I don't really look at any one of them and say, that guy's a superstar. Like, that guy's going to go into the league and tear it up. Like, you obviously get your guys like Kentucky and Duke and Kansas, but it's like, I don't look at any one of Jay's guys that are going to just be like, he's got all the... like. All the talent in the world, he's gonna go tear it up, you know, in the in the league. So well, I my concern, I guess, with Jay would be him handling superstars because I've never seen that before. And I, I'm not, I don't think that he can't do it. It's but just it hasn't been seen. It no, hasn't I, been seen. I get that, but I I I went to a back in my senior year of high school. I went to a like leadership conference that Jay Wright actually spoke at. Uh huh. Um, and just the way I can't remember anything word for word he said, but I just remember walking out of there and going like, and telling myself like that man could tell me to walk into Vietnam yeah, and I would say, okay, like he <laughs> well, just, he just has this like presence and this demeanor to him, even yeah. when he's just calmly talking to you that it's, it's like. Like, you know how people talk to you and you're like, oh, they're arrogant. Yeah. Like imagine, well, imagine, yeah, <laughs> but imagine that level of like. I know what I'm talking about without the arrogance. And that's just how Jay Wright is. Well, and that's, I love Jay Wright. I'm a big Nova guy. Like I'm like Nova through and through Jay Wright, like all class. 
I just, you know, it's just something I've never actually noticed him like see and obviously yeah. you're not going to get a lot of that personality in college it's like they don't really show a lot of the personality yeah. until they actually get to the league um for sure but it's just something that crossed my mind like doc had played with a lot of soup not played but coached a lot of superstars so it seems like a good deal you either like love him or you hate him it seems like a good deal of players like respect well, doc in the yeah league. well yeah and again i think that's that pedigree that doc sits on and this is not in like a negative connotation mm-hmm. or denotation whatever the word is um like doc is a like well-established coach in the nba uh-huh. but like you also had reports when he left the clippers that there was play- some turmoil players yeah. were mad at him because he treated the superstars in pg and Kawhi like two lack of days like apparently and i don't know how much of this is true Apparently they had their own area to change. Apparently they had like had their own security and like, like I don't know how much Doc had a hand in that, but like I almost feel like your team works better if everyone is seen as like an equal an part equal. compared to hey these are our best players and everyone else just do your role. Yeah. Whereas if if the team comes to that census, hey you know if Paul Reed is like hey Joel Embiid and James Harden are our best players. And the best thing that I can do for this team is just come in, get rebounds, and be a spark defensively. Mm-hmm. If guys can come into their roles like that, I feel like it totally changes the idea of things instead of your coach saying, these are our superstars, you just need to go out and do you. Yeah. Like, it, it, I mean, that, that's speaking from my own personal experience of basketball, of just knowing that, like, because like, our coach basically forced these are our best players. He didn't say it, but he was like, these are the guys getting plays drawn up for. You know, these are the guys who we want to have the ball down the stretch. Everyone else, like, just just do your role. And it, it, it like, belittles you. Yeah. And, I mean, again, I'm talking high school compared to the NBA. So it's a big jump. But right. I also know with that big jumps comes a lot of bigger egos. Yeah. In guys like Paul Reed, who I'm not saying has a big ego. But, you know, he made it to the NBA. He's, he's pretty damn good at basketball, who probably thinks he deserves a shot to be getting a lot of minutes. Right. But if you can have him buy into the fact that, hey, I, like, like, I'm going to play 15 minutes, but I'm going to make sure it's the damn best 15 minutes of basketball I've ever played in my life. Yeah. Um, I think that in itself could have taken the Sixers team to the next level. Obviously, excluding some of the injuries. But, like, next year, going into the season and thinking, like, Almost again that that all is one mentality, um, and just that like mental fortitude yeah. uh, really takes that team with the same exact roster into the you know into the Eastern Conference Finals. They're playing, you know, whoever. Yeah, uh, I will say this. So on the last podcast or episode before, uh, I was saying the scenarios for which Doc Rivers were to get fired, and I said first series easy gone. And then I said, pretty much gone at any point during the second series, unless we get to like game six or seven, depending on the situation. Yep. We got the game six. He's still here. I genuinely believe that what saved his job was the fact that Joel Embiid broke his face. Yep. I don't think there's any other excuse really other than that, because... The only other excuse I could see, only other excuse, is... James got here three quarters of the way through the season. Mm-hmm. Let's give James, Joel, and Doc an off season to work on everything together to really mesh as a team. Yeah, figure out what works best offensively, defensively, uh, and then go from there. So if next year, 
if Doc is our head coach, which he will be, Daryl right. uh, already came out and said we plan on keeping Doc. Yeah. Um, next year they go out and they lose four two in the Eastern Conference semifinals again. I think he, I think probably. he has to go. Yeah. Then at that rate, it's like the only reason you got rid of Brett Brown was because, well, among some other things, was because like you couldn't get to that next level. Yeah, and so you bring in who you think is a thought was a better coach, and if you still can't get to that next level, well, then you're probably looking elsewhere. Yeah, which well, is and, like, and you're gonna have to because you're running short on time. I mean, if you sign James Harden to this max deal, I read if they gave him five years, and that fifth year he'll be what thirty-seven, and you're gonna be paying him forty mil, and then you're looking at five years from now when Joel's thirty-four, out of his prime, like you're looking at two old dudes that yeah, I that mean. It, so your, your your window, and we talked about this earlier on the podcast, is it was this year and maybe two more years, like like, and yeah. I'm not I'm not talking like I'm talking your window with Joel and James Harden now, yeah, like you have a like one maybe two year window of elite basketball out of Joel and very good basketball out of James, yeah, um, and you got to figure it out. I mean, whether that's moving Tobias, whether that's moving on from Doc. Uh, figuring out what bench pieces you need because as we looked up before, Furkan Korkmaz shooting 29% from three, who's supposed to be a good three-point shooter, is not going to do it. That really did kill them this season. Just the the lack of growth from some guys. We saw growth out of, you know, Embiid and Maxi, And we'll, we'll get into that here in a sec. But, you know, Embiid obviously better than what he was last year. Maxi much better than what he was last year. But... When you watch guys like Matisse, Matisse really didn't grow defensively. Like he was solid for yeah, most he was of the year. he was still a very good defender. But, but his offensive game, if anything, almost looked worse this year. Well, and that was the thing. As soon as you took him out of the the rotation because of the Toronto series, it was just rough to watch him out yeah. there. Yeah, like he was not hitting anything. He was not like even defensively. Like he was not. No, he only had like one or like. One maybe two like really good defensive games against Miami. Yeah, um, and it, it's just I'm not gonna say it's disappointing because what this was the second year. Uh, this is his third. Okay, well, third season, whatever. It's frustrating. It's not disappointing yet because that three point shot can still be developed. But we were just hoping it would get there a little sooner, especially now with Danny's torn ACL. Well, now, yeah, that's a pretty big. Now factor. we now this starting lineup basically needs Matisse to be able to shoot thirty five percent from three. Because how many times did we watch them throughout the season, and you had to take Matisse out because guys just were not guarding him on the three point line? And yeah, there were occasionally you know games where you just hit the three point shot, and then it's like, all right, cool, but. It was not a lot. Yeah, like he I, got a lot of open looks. For how many open looks that he was getting, and he's not knocking down shots. All of, all of his threes were open looks. The only time he took a three was when he was when like, it was open. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Furkan Korkmaz, who he like. Doc gave him the world, man. Like he really pushed him to to be in that rotation, and he like Korkmaz was shooting open threes, he was shooting contested threes, he was shooting just dumb shots, and none of them were falling. And it got to the point where it got to, like, so bad where he just lost playing time altogether. Yep. Quick question for you. Who do you think has a better three-point percentage, Furkan or Matisse? Well, I know Furkan's is, is 29. Uh, 
Uh, I'm going to say Matisse just because of how few he shot. I'm 30, going to say 31%. 30, yeah, I was going to say. I was thinking low 30s. On... But, I mean, you probably, like, Corkmont's probably doubles the attempts. Two attempts a game. Like, Corkmont's probably throwing up, like, four or five a game. Furcon this year. Less. Oh, no, it's two-point shots. I'm sorry. So, wait, there's both? Hold both on, have? hold on, hold on. Oh, okay. <laughs> on four three-pointers a game, he shot 29%. That's bad. It's really bad. Especially, Especially again, for a guy that's supposed to be a three-point shooter. Yeah. Um... So, let's get into the offseason a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's, let's talk some offseason. So, I first want to start with some reports that said that the Sixers are star hunting. They're looking to trade some guys. The one that I heard was Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey and somehow flip that for Bradley Beal. Totally disagree with it. 100% disagree. 100%. Because I'm sick of star chasing. This league has kind of shown that you don't necessarily have to have multiple stars. I actually think multiple stars, as the Lakers showed, hurts you. Yep. Because look at the teams that are still remaining. You have the Heat, you have the Celtics, you have the Mavericks, and you have the Warriors. Warriors are kind of the exception, but a lot of their stars are homegrown. Mm -hmm. The Magic, they have Luka, who you can argue is their only superstar. They've got, like, Jalen Brunson. Like, they have some pieces. But that's the key. It's the pieces. Then you have the Celtics, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, both homegrown. And then you have the Heat with Jimmy Butler. And Kyle Lowry really hasn't played a whole lot this postseason. But it's the role players. Yeah. The Celtics made their jump into where they are now when they had a good trade deadline. And they solidified their role players. Mm -hmm. Dallas, same thing. They got rid of Kristaps Porzingis. Solidified their role players. Uh, Golden State, this is probably the best set of role players that they've had since earlier in the dynasty. Yeah. And then, obviously, we just saw what Miami is. Miami is just Jimmy Butler and a whole bunch of dogs. Yeah. Like, you don't need to star chase. And the Sixers made that mistake in 2019-2020. You had uh, Simmons. You had J.J. Redick. You had Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid that's fine but the bench was so terrible as soon as any of those guys came off the floor you were toast and they made the same exact mistake this year yeah we are uh we're you know how everything like goes in circles yeah uh, our trend wise I think we're early phase into the trend where what's gonna win you championships is depth Yes, if, yes, if, 100%. And that's what Milwaukee showed last year mm -hmm. because they had Giannis, your superstar. You had Chris Middleton, star. Yeah. Drew Holiday, very star, good player. role player. Like, very good player. Very you know, good he, player he, either he's, way. He's, you know, you have Giannis as a superstar, Chris Middleton, an all-star, and then you have Drew, who is a very good player. So like, you've got like the... star role player. Yeah, like, he's, really he's like that half step below yeah. all-star. Yeah, and then you had P.J. Tucker was on that team mm -hmm. last year. Um, you have PJ, Pat, Pat Connaughton, Pat, like, uh, uh, Dante was Dante, on that team. Uh, I don't was think he? he played during the run. He was okay. on the team, but I don't think he played the postseason. Uh, was that, did they have, anyway, like they were just deep. Yeah. yeah. So like we're slowly getting into that trend. And by slowly, I mean, I think we're like turning the, the final turn and it, it's what it's going to be for the next five, six years. Right. Um, if you can solidify two star players. 
I mean, if you look around the league right now, uh, Boston, you have Jalen and uh, Jason. Right. In Miami, you have Jimmy and you have Bam. Right. In Dallas is a little bit of an exception there. Uh, it's just Luca. It's Luca. Get the ball to Luca. Yeah, Luca and Jalen right now would yeah. be the two there. Uh, and then um, Golden State, you'd have Steph. Uh, again, you have Andrew Clay. Wiggins, who's an All Star. You have Clay, who's a former All Star. Draymond. Jordan, Jordan Poole's Jordan taking some Poole. big oh, steps. Yeah, he, yeah. So I mean, you're you're into the era where it's now. Hey, let's get two. Your let me back up. We're into the era now where it gets. Let's get one super or all star or like that fringe all star superstar player. Yeah. Uh, a second very good player, and then let's just like bolster the bench. Let's 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 be able to go twelve deep comfortably. That when that twelfth guy comes on, you know he's gonna walk off the floor with at least a plus four. But look at how deep Miami is. They they are seriously twelve deep. They are like, they like, are twelve deep. You can like Duncan Robinson is one of the better three point shooters in the league. He played like a game and a half, and he barely played. Yeah, exactly. Like he, they are so deep with their shooting, with their rebounding, with their scoring. Like they are just they are twelve deep in Miami and Boston. I mean. They're kind of in the same boat, too. I don't think they're that deep, but they're still pretty They're not deep. as deep, but... I mean, the Sixers, realistically, were only, what, seven deep? That's kind of pushing it. Honestly. Well, so you run your starting lineup. Right, you have your five. And then you have six men and... Um, uh, George. George. But and then George had, was, like, nothing yeah, in the playoffs. Yeah, he did not shoot well. And then you had Shake. You had Danny... Uh, no, Danny Green was the starter. So, yeah, basically, you had George and Shake. And, and then, then, your, then your other guys were Paul Reed... Which I will say this, um, the one thing that actually did impress me about the Sixers during this postseason run is their minutes with Joel off. Yeah, no, they didn't. They Paul Reed actually held his own, uh, excluding anything. Anytime DeAndre Jordan was on the court, yes. Um, um, but Paul Reed with the starting five was actually like yeah, plus. Re- yeah, like it was good. respectable. Yeah. I uh, Paul Reed did a great job. Again, he's he's a dog. Yeah, he. But he, Paul Reed is out there flying around. Like he's, he, he's the one grabbing rebounds. He's, he's, the one. he's one of those players that you just want on your team, just like a P.J. Tucker. The only problem with Paul Reed is he gets into a ton of foul trouble. Yes. And he does have a tendency to do... He gets a little out of control. Yes. That's, and not like mentally, but like... Uh, so, I, like his play. Like He gets way too ahead of himself. Yeah. Like he, he has in his head what he wants to do, but his body's just moving like three times faster. Yeah. And like at times where it like it looks decent, and then there are times where it's like yeah, Paul buddy, like well, relax and a and the nice thing about that is everything catching up to speed will come with playing time, and that I think is where Doc really let him down. Yes, because Doc decided with like six or seven games left in the season, oh shoot, DeAndre Jordan's been playing terrible, can't play Paul Millsap. Paul Reed's my best option. So we got to get him in here and yeah, they, get him They should They should have been playing Paul Reed consistently throughout the season. If not consistently throughout the season, at the All-Star break, take a look at your roster and say, all right, we're going we're gonna, to – what I would have done is I would have made it like a little, okay, competition that no one knows about except for me where I'm going to play DeAndre and I'm going to play Paul and whichever one does better is going to get my minutes. And I'm going to decide that about a month before playoffs start Yeah. so that – I can start to work in my playoff rotation into games mm-hmm. so that I can see the sets so that Paul can kind of get familiar with himself and, and his co uh, or his teammates 
because uh, again, he's this is what his second year. Yeah. Um, but that's that's the problem with Doc and where, he, I, where he I take he doesn't play young players. No, and you look at some of the guys that Miami was playing, like Max Strus and they, they Gabe had, Vincent. They had eight. I think that I think it was eight undrafted players on that roster. I think that sounds about and right. Yeah. A majority of them, or a couple of them, were playing like meaningful minutes. Gabe Vincent, Max Struess. But that's the thing. Neither one of those guys were very good when they first got into the league. Duncan like from, Robinson. From like from a three-pointing uh, standpoint, like neither one of them really lit it up. Max Struess, I think, with the exceptions of game four and five, or I'm sorry, games three and four, like was on fire the entire series. Yep. Gabe Vincent can knock down clutch shots, you know, whenever he wants. Yep. Um, it's just, but those guys got the minutes. Whereas Doc will play his rotations. He'll play his starting five and he'll play his backup five. And there's really no other wiggle room other like, than that. I don't even know what we have in Jaden Springer. I don't. He didn't play any meaningful minute throughout the entire season. I'm not totally upset with that, but at the same time, I'm still kind of curious because. It, from what I understand, Jaden Springer made a lot of improvements based on yeah. how his shot looked and his confidence. And that's the thing that I, I like what they've done with some of these guys that they put in the G League. They kind of give them that confidence of like, hey, you know, I can go out and score anywhere from 20 to 30 points a game, kind of like what Springer did and what Paul Reed has done. The only problem is they're not getting that chance at yeah. the at the, at the next level. level. Yeah. yeah, because... You know, Paul Reed will get thrown in here with like five minutes to go when we're up or down a lot, or like he'll get thrown out there for in the second quarter and he'll play two minutes and then he'll never see the floor the rest of the night. Yeah, it, it's you're putting you're putting players into ultimately like unfair circumstances to, to, to try and prove themselves because in all reality, what are you going to do with two minutes on the court? Like, you know, unless you're Joel Embiid and you're scoring more points and you're you yeah, know, yeah. Like, you're not going to do much, especially for a guy, you know, some of these young players who were trying to go in, and this goes out through the entire league. This isn't just Philadelphia, um, who were trying to prove themselves. Like, it's almost, I'm not going to say unfair, because some of it's deserved, some of it's not. Right. But in, in this case, it's pretty deserved for Paul Reed, you know, former G League MVP, the you know, his rookie season to come in and do that. Yeah. It's pretty impressive of, of itself. But then to not even like give him a shot to see, all right, like let's see what you can do at the next level, a, a consistent shot. But not- they gave him the shot way too late yes. too, and yes. they were they. It was literally like a panic panic move, because you invested and keep this in mind too. You invested uh, four spots to a center to a center. Mm-hmm. They were so short at wing. Yep, Shake Milton is not really a wing. And he had to play there because you were so short at wing. What's frustrating about that is the whole Matisse situation with Toronto. And I'm not saying he's right or wrong for not having a vaccine. That's not for me to say. Right. But what's frustrating is the team knows that at the beginning of the season. Yeah. So no, it's wh- not like that was a surprise. So that came up in January. So why didn't you go out and get another guard or a forward who you could play in a series if you had to go to Toronto? Why did you take, I don't care if it was the vet minimum, I don't care about the money, but why did you take up another roster spot to say, all right, we're going to give it to another center, even though we have Joel Embiid, the best, if not the second best, if not the best center in the league. Mm-hmm. We have former G League 
MVP, Paul Reed, who, yeah, he might be a little undersized, but that's okay because we also drafted Charles Bassey, who was a projected you know, top 20 pick, but mm. went to a smaller school, so it kind of dropped stock a little bit, who we took in the second round. But nope, let's bring in DeAndre Jordan and let him play backup center. That, that's See, listen, I put a lot of trust in Daryl Morey. That's where I am like Daryl. Well, how much, how much of that is Daryl and how much of that is Doc going to Daryl saying, hey, I want DeAndre? But if you're Daryl and you see what DeAndre has done with the Lakers and it hasn't looked pretty and you saw what he did last year with the Nets and it really didn't look that great either. And you, like Paul Millsap, I kind of understand the Paul Millsap thing. It's like you're bringing in veteran experience. That's mm-hmm. fine. That's cool. But when you have Paul Reed and you have Charles Bassey, what was the point of bringing in DeAndre Jordan? Like, I get Doc being like, hey, I want this guy. Like, I can I can use my system, and it's going to help him. But then at that rate, why do you still hang on to Paul Millsap? Yeah. You know, why aren't you – why don't you tell Doc, like, hey, man, like, we got to do – we got to use what we have. If anything, we need more wings. This is what we need. Yeah. They were – see, the, the Sixers got blindsided, I think. They got blindsided because they were not expecting Toronto. Yep. The, they were, they, I think they, they played it out that they were going to try and get Chicago in the first <laughs> round because they've had their success against Chicago. And I think once Toronto made their jump and Chicago just slid just a little bit, I think it put the Sixers in panic mode again. Mm-hmm. And that's why you had to start playing Paul Reed again. Um, so, I don't know. I just... I'm disappointed, I think, more so like in Doc. I'm disappointed in the players. I'm disappointed in Daryl a little bit, to be honest with you, because I think the, the construction of the roster failed. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even talking James Harden, because bringing in James Harden was probably one of the better case scenarios as far as the whole Ben Simmons drama. Um, you know, you're bringing in a guy that can score. You know, he can... He, he's, he's borderline a true point guard. Yes, and, but he he kind of did a lot of things very similar to what Ben Simmons did on the, the floor from an offensive perspective. Not necessarily defense, but James held his own on defense. Yeah. Um, so that I'm not upset with. The James Harden deal, I'm cool with. I say bring James Harden back. Tyrese Maxey... Shouldn't even be on the table. Off I would, table. I would say your your untouchables right now are obviously Embiid and Maxi. Just because I think what you have with Maxi, I think he can get a lot better because he's one of the hardest working dudes in the NBA, especially on a rookie contract. Where I am like, okay, where we start to need some work. We need a wing. We need a three. We need a small forward. Power forward. I know a lot of people have kind of shipped off Tobias Harris. I'm not opposed to keeping him, but I don't think his role right now suits the team very well. Yeah. Because you're still looking at Tobias Harris as a guy that can is going to get you a bucket. And I don't think... I think he's a very good scorer, but I don't think he's your guy that is going to get you a bucket when yeah, you need agreed, a bucket. Agreed. Uh, and I'm kind of concerned with Tobias Harris is... I don't want... Because Tobias Harris has always kind of been in a middle ground. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of where we are again. Yeah. We're, we're kind of in a middle ground. We're good. Like, he's a good middle ground. He's not like Thaddeus Young where he's, like, not even an all-star. But, like, yeah. he's just – but he's, like – he's good but middle good. Like, he's not going to be making any all-star games. He's not going to – He – and for as much as we're paying him, I hate to say this, 
He's a, like, very good role player. Yes. He's not, like, Drew Holiday very good role player. He's, like, that next step down. Right. But a guy you want playing, you know, 30-plus minutes a game, but not necessarily a guy you want to throw every single dollar at. But why I'm not opposed, because, like, throughout most of the season, he didn't have a very good season. Throughout the uh, postseason... I thought he was pretty good, uh, especially against Toronto and Miami. I thought he did a lot of what they asked of him. He was, and I we've talked about this, Tobias, it always seemed like when things started going south, Tobias, you know, would go out and get two back-to-back buckets. He'd try, he'd like try and steer the ship straight again. Yeah. Uh, and it just always seemed to be like that. Maxie would miss a three. Uh, James would, you know, get a layup strip. Joel would miss a shot. And then all of a sudden, you know, Miami or Toronto's going on an 8-0 run, mm-hmm. 10-0 run. And then all of a sudden, Tobias comes down, he nails a corner three. And then Tobias gets a little quick post up on a on a switch, gets a mismatch, hits a turnaround jumper. Okay, well, we just turned that 10-0 run into a 10-5 run. Yeah. So, like, plus, not to mention from a teammate perspective, it seems like a lot of the guys love Tobias. Oh, he's very And I think, I think he's a, a team leader that... You know, I, I, I would not mind keeping Tobias Harris. I know right. a lot of people may be opposed to it. I don't think Tobias Harris, it, when I look at the roster the way it is right now, I don't look at him and I'm like, you're the problem. Yeah, correct. Um, and obviously there's Joel. So when you start getting into the bench is where you really need to address. So we need a wing and we need bench pieces. Yes. And this is where we were discussing earlier, and this is where we're going to get into our list that we were talking about. Yep. We went through all the free agents that are going to be coming up, player option and all, and we were like, all right, which guys do we want? Which guys are we okay with? Which guys are we not opposed to? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's break it out. Uh, so, first, I want to start by saying we excluded all of the big-name players, so you're not going to hear us talk about Bradley Beal or anyone like that. Uh, all those guys have player options, but I don't want to. I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about the pieces that we realistically this off season can get for prices that we like, uh, that really fit what we think uh, think will work. Uh, so, Connor, the first guy we talked about, uh, who you're very fond of, I would very much enjoy to see him in Philly. Uh, is T.J. Warren? Yes, I think we desperately need a. Uh, a wing, an athletic wing that can kind of get you some buckets. And I think TJ Warren fits that bill pretty well because he's going to go out and he's going to go get his own. Yep. And he's shown before that he can do that. Yep. Uh, another guy we talked about, a little bit older here. Actually, they're probably around the same age. Uh, Gary Harris, uh, a guy that can stretch the floor for you really well. Somebody uh, we both wanted. like In, in buyout market. In buyout market, the vet minimum kind of deal. And for some reason, we opted for DeAndre Jordan. Love it. Um, yeah, no, I, I would like Gary Harris. I think he's still got some... He's got some good basketball on him, especially when you play him alongside Joel and James Harden. Yeah, like he's uh, still got a pretty decent three-point shot. Well, and, and what we need and the guys we're bringing in is guys that can just hit spot-up threes. Yes. Uh, which brings me to my next guy, who we talked about having that mental toughness. Uh, this guy brings, you know, all of the toughness two-year team in P.J. Tucker. A uh, little older, uh, but again, we just saw what he could do in Miami. Uh, obviously won a championship with the Bucks. He's just one of those, like, do-it-all guys you don't see much on the, the box score. He's going to give you really good defense. 
He's going to give you consistent three-point shooting from the corners. the corners. He's going to give you rebounding. He's going to give you that like dog mentality that they yeah. all seem to be talking about yep. with the team. So I'm very big on P.J. Tucker. He's got the player option. Yeah. So he has to opt out of his contract, and then I guess we'll just kind of. But that's the thing, though. He's going to have a pretty big market. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't. Any of the 16 teams that made the playoffs this year should be going after P.J. Tucker, a guy you yeah. can get for relatively cheap. Well, obviously, you saw what he did with, uh, Milwaukee. with Milwaukee, and you've seen what he's done with Miami, Miami and you're like, okay. Yeah, you just you, you want that dog. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on. To, so those are three guys that we would be very happy if the Sixers went out and those got. Are, those are the guys that I would like to see the Sixers prioritize this offseason. Yeah. Um, so our next category is guys that we would be okay with Philly bringing in. Um, you know, guys who help a little less than the previous guys. If they bring them in, then I'm I'm happy. I don't think... I mean, I wouldn't say they don't move the needle, but I, I think I would be pretty... I, I think they would help the team yeah. in some ways. Uh, our first guy. Yes. Uh, Joe Ingles. Yes, Joe Ingles... You know, have him come off the bench, three-point shooting. You could probably even give him a couple spot starts depending on the, the matchup. Yeah, you could literally replace Furkan with him. Basically. Like, and a, a the, guy just to come in and be able to shoot threes consistently. The nice thing is you have that connection with between him and uh, George Niang. Mm-hmm. So you have that Utah yep. connection. Um, so, yeah, uh, Joe Ingles with this three-point shot would be big. Yeah. Uh, another guy on our list, uh, Terion Prince. Uh, again, another just athletic guy, decent spot-up shooter. Uh, this guy's a little more, I'll put him on like the C tier of like the 3 and D type of guys. Athletic, can get around pretty well. And you can put, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you can put him at the four. We are talking a little bit about it. Put him at the four. You can have like Paul Reed, Charles Bassey play the five, and then you can have George Niang play the, play three. the three. You can have like... Just because you already have George Niang doesn't mean you can't like switch those two. Yeah. Uh, another guy who brings a little bit of dog, um, along with some basketball ability, uh, Mr. Markeith Morris. Uh, my favorite of the twins. Yes. Throwing it out there. I think Mark uh, Markeith Morris would be good if you can't really get a legitimate shot at P.J. Tucker. Yeah. I, I, think, think, I, think, he's, I think he's that kind of next step down toughness but he's still going to give you toughness yeah which i think the sixers still need yeah and again he's you know respectable enough from three the common trend you'll see here is uh big bodies that can shoot threes or mobile guys that can shoot threes yes guys that'll be won't necessarily be a a liability defensively but will definitely help uh or create open shots or be able to hit open shots yes uh, one of my favorites, uh, Mr. 2K12 himself, Terrence Ross. I say that because I used to play with him and tear it up with Terrence. <laughs> my guy on uh, 2K12, I think I think it was 2K12, was uh, Rudy Gay. Yeah. Rudy was, Gay was, was, he was unstoppable. Nasty. He was nasty. Uh, but no, Terrence Ross, I think that would be big. Good three-point shot, good 3 and D guy. I don't think he had as good a three-point shooting season this past season. But no, but I mean... What what I like about some of these guys who are like okay yeah they're okay three point shooters yeah is 
you know, we went and saw Terrence Ross play against the Sixers. Yeah. Uh, when Joel put up 50. Um, I think he played that night. Anyway, if he didn't, I've seen him play before. Yeah. Um, so if you plug Terrence Ross in a lineup where James Harden's on the floor, James Harden draws so much attention himself that Terrence is going to get some pretty open looks from three. So his 33% or whatever it was might shoot up closer to 37 just because they're not wide open shots. You know, when you're playing in Orlando, you know, Franz Wagner isn't going to pull all the attention. Right. As, as much attention as James Harden is. Right. Like you're going to, like you can kind of sell out for some of these sharper shooters. And you saw, like, like, like take example here. A couple of years ago, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid. Basically, you're putting all your best shooters around Ben Simmons, and like all these guys can knock down open shots. Uh-huh. And I think that would benefit James Harden very well as well if you just get these veteran guys that literally just give them an open look and mm-hmm. they're knocking it down. Yeah. Where the Sixers don't really have those guys right now, at least off the bench. No, correct. Like Tobias Harris, I love Tobias Harris. I think his three-point shot has improved. I don't think he's a like open three point shot gonna knock it down. Yeah, the only the only spot up three point shooter on our bench, reliable, is George Niang. Yes. As of right now. Yes. George George is the only guy where I'm fairly confident most of the three point shots yeah. it's gonna take. Danny Green's kinda the same way, even though Danny's gonna chuck up a good amount of contested threes. Um, if you just give him an open look more times than not, he's he's pretty Correct. good. Furkan can be that like that, but he's he's streaky. He's, see, that's the thing though. Furkan like he's got his moments where like do you remember the game against Milwaukee right before the All Star break? Like they they actually sat Matisse started yes uh, Miles, and Miles came out and, like lit it up like yes. but a lot of them were open looks because they weren't can, taken into consideration. The fact that Cork Miles was out there, yep. a supposedly better three-point shooter, like they were basically guarding him like he was Matisse, and he was just knocking down the shots. Yes, that's ideally what you would like from him. Yep, and that's I'll even dial it back to um, against Atlanta with Furkan. That's why you lost the series because you didn't get that consistency out of him, and he had a tendency to just disappear from the offense. Yep, and you couldn't get like you needed some like more scoring out of him, and he just wouldn't give it to you. Next guy on our list, uh, we would be okay signing these guys, is one of your Nova favorites, Mr. Dante. Dante DiVincenzo. I can't say his last name. <laughs> uh, no, I'm a big Dante DiVincenzo fan. Uh, more so, I would like to see him just come off the bench. I think he's a reliable enough scorer to the point where I'd say he's an upgrade over Shake. Uh, I think he's one of those guys that can kind of score his, you know, the mm-hmm. same way, but he can also knock down some open threes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I would be good with Dante DiVincenzo. If not really giving him, like, a mass, like, not obviously not a massive deal because you're signing him based on potential, but, a dec- like, a decent-sized deal. Yeah. Most of these guys, obviously, we're talking a lot of role players with the exception of maybe, like, TJ Warren sliding into the starting spot. Yeah. Are going to be guys... Like that, that are minimum affordable, yeah. Because again, when you when you're holding Joel Embiid, James Harden, and Tobias Harris on a roster, the depth you have is going to be depth that you can get for cheap. Yes, uh, and we're trying to do this as realistic as possible. You obviously haven't heard names like Bradley Beal and Zach Levine, and like just because I'm not gonna sit here and be well, like, well, I'm not gonna play with the you know trade maker and throw yeah. in 
Tobias, Danny Green, Matisse Thibel, uh, Jaden Springer, and Charles Bassey for Bradley Beal. I'm not going to play if, like that. If, I, if we had listened to any one of my trades during the Ben Simmons drama, like we would be all over the place. Like I, I swear I started up like five different franchises on Madden just to see what like each roster would look like. Yeah. Like I had CJ McCollum, I had Tyrese Halliburton, I had like um, Jalen Brown. Like I was I, all over the place. I did the same thing. And I'm not I'm not gonna sit here on the podcast and, and do the same thing. My go to is SGA. SGA that's a good one. Uh next guy on our list, a little bit of an older guy, uh Rodney Hood, another yes. guy who can stretch the floor very well for you. Um that one this one's a little more him and Joe Ingles are a little more just spot-up three-point shooters. Yeah. Just guys that you bring in your second unit. James Harden takes over at the point guard in that transition period while Joel's off the floor where James Harden is your main offensive weapon. Uh, and you just put pieces around him that can shoot the ball. Rodney Hood is great at that. It's what he's done his entire career. Um, so I think it'd be a great addition for Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, again, for cheap. I mean, you're not going to break the bank over Rodney Hood. Um, this next one... I would like to see happen. I, I would probably move this one closer to my would want list as opposed to like would be okay with mm-hmm. uh, Malik Monk. Yes. Yes. Um, I really say if you can make a legitimate run at Malik Monk and then you bring in also a guy like Joe Ingles, say like just take off all the starters, take all the starters off the floor. Malik Monk coming off the bench, uh, Joe Ingles, George Niang, Paul Reed. Like, just those two additions right there. How much better does that sound? Yeah, well, in Malik Monk, you're getting a guy that can just create his own offense. Yes. He's almost like Shake, but better. Like, they play He's very a, similar games. Shake operates more so on the like the mid-range yeah. game, where Malik Monk operates more so around the three-point line. Yeah. So, I mean, you get, you get a guy that can go out and get his own buckets. Again, you add Joe Ingles into that mix, and you get another spot-up shooter on top of George Niang. So now you got... Two like knockdown three point shooters, Malik Monk. You know, if Shake Milton's out there as the one or whatever, you're getting mm-hmm. another guy who can operate off ball uh, and even score, create his own offense a little bit. And you get Paul Reed on top of that. Uh, like you said, I think that really uh, heightens the bench unit and the depth in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Malik is going to look for. He's a young guy who had a really great season in LA. He, he basically went from a guy that nobody wanted to give a contract, so he took a vet minimum. And had a good season in L.A. Yeah, it was a prove-it deal. Right, and he proved it. He did. The problem is now there's a market for him. Yeah. And it's going to be a pretty big market because, obviously, he's still fairly young and he's a good shooter. Yeah. So I would really I would really be happy with Malik Monk. And even, say, if you keep a lot of the same like pieces. pieces, like say you roll out the same starter lineup. Say your lineup is James Harden, Tyrus Maxey, Thibel, Harris, and Bede. Just roll into the bench. Shake Milton as your point guard. Cool. Malik Monk, Joe Ingles, George Niang, Paul Reed. That's a lot better. Mm-hmm. Just because you can kind of shoot a lot more. Shake can kind of create his you know, dribble drive penetration. Mm-hmm. Kick it out to any one of your shooters. Kind of leave Paul Reed open for some lobs. Like I, I think there's a lot that can be worked with there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, our... Last category is we're, like, okay with, but it's it's a tricky category. It's basically the backup centers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so first, yeah, okay, go I, I want to start yes. by saying yeah. that this category only happens if Daryl and Doc basically say, 
we don't have faith in any of our backup centers, Paul Reed or Charles Bassey. So they're going to go out, find another big guy on the market. These are two guys that we would be okay bringing into that position. Personally, I think they have enough in Paul Reed and Charles Bassey to say, hey, we don't need to worry about a backup center for a while. Yes. But with what happened last year and, you know, just the uncertainty that is Philadelphia, uh, we figured we'd throw this in real quick. Um, So the first one, uh, backed by popular demand, uh, Andre Drummond. However, the problem with Drummond is it's probably not going to be a vet no. minimum. No, he's, he, he, again, he came to Philly on almost another prove-it deal uh-huh. and got shipped to Brooklyn and had a pretty decent season. He, and that's the thing we said. Andre Drummond is a starter on probably 25 out of 30 teams. Yep. And literally we took him, he sent him to a team that did not have a legitimate starting center, became a legitimate starting center. Pretty pretty solid season. There's a lot more issues with that Brooklyn team than him. Yeah. Um, it never really... He even said it himself. They were like, so what are your thoughts with Brooklyn? And he's like, I'm probably not coming back. So, um, obviously, I think there's some deeper issues there yeah. in Brooklyn that I don't think were his fault. But there's definitely going to be a market for him. Of course. More so than a vet minimum. Like, I could see, like, a, like a four-year, like... million deal for him. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that would be fair. Uh, The other one is DeMarcus Cousins. Yes. Uh, And DeMarcus Cousins, we've seen him bounce around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the team, it was uh, Milwaukee. He was just in Denver. No, that's right. You're right. Uh, It was Denver. He signed with Milwaukee earlier this season. Right. They waived him. Denver picked him up. Denver, and we saw it when Embiid played, or I'm sorry, uh, when the Sixers played uh, the the Nuggets late in the season and supposedly decided the MVP game. But DeMarcus Cousins had a pretty good game. He was knocking down his open threes. He mm-hmm. was uh, he was that dog that you're that yeah, talking about. Yeah, well, again, DeMarcus Cousins is like the second leader in the league in technical fouls. Yeah. And it's because he's a dog. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll yell at whoever. He'll say whatever to whoever. He's a big, tough guy. I mean... You, he's he's just a guy you. That attitude is something you want on your team. Just just someone who's not afraid to be an asshole. Basically, he's gonna go to war with you if he's on your team, and he's gonna stand up. Yeah. So I've kind of questioned, I guess maybe a little bit his relationship with Embiid, but in, the more I've watched Embiid over the years. Joel is kind of like just seems to be a very like you're with us or you're not I don't know not you're with us or against us but Joel's gonna go to bat with you if you're on your on his team. Well, so like we kind of saw with Drummond like well, they that, put that, their differences that's what the perfect, aside because I thought like one of the biggest personal rivalries in the NBA for like a season or two was Joel and Andre. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Andre signs in Philly and my world got turned upside down. You, you're the one that told me. I know, we were together hey, yeah. when it happened. Did you see that Andre Drummond just signed in Philly? And I'm pretty sure you could see me like turn around and look at you like that Nick Young meme. Yeah. Of just like... the I saw the question marks yeah, appearing all it, over it the place. Was, but I, I think you're right. I definitely think, um, you know, Joel can just kind of make friends with anyone who's on his team just because he'll go to war with you i've noticed joel is a very personable guy like if you watch him at the all-star not the yeah the all-star games you watch him at the all-star games and he's normally like laughing it up with everybody oh yeah you look at him around the league with the stars 
and he's normally like talking to him. He's like normally pretty even keel with them. Yep. Like I see him talk to Jokic. I see him talk to Giannis. I see him talk to. Obviously, he's good friends with Jimmy Butler. Yep. Him and James Harden like just meshed like immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just seems like Joel. Like a lot of the stars seem to go to bat for him too. Like KD and Joel apparently have a pretty good relationship. Oh, yeah. Uh, Steph Curry and Joel are both like Under Armour guys. They apparently have a pretty good relationship. Like Joel seems to have a good relationship with a lot of the stars. Bradley Beal is another guy. Mm-hmm. So I think Joel is is very much like I I think he's just a personable guy that like wants to win, and he's going to do whatever it takes. He's going to get along with whoever to make it happen. I hundred percent agree with you. Um. So that's kind of our plan right now for the offseason, uh, at least from a free agency standpoint. Yes. We'll, I guess, kind of play it by ear as far as like how that actually plays out. When does free agency like I have no even idea. start? I, yeah. don't, I don't know. All of a sudden, Woj tweets something, and then I turn on his notifications. Yeah, I was going to say, they, I find out when the, the free agency tampering period begins, <laughs> and then I turn on the notifications for Woj and Shams, and then like five signings immediately happen and then two of them are wrong because they're like oh by the way i'm going at the here actually yep um but yeah no i'm i guess as far as the sixer season as a whole they're i'm i'm looking at it two ways the optimist in me is like listen we faced a lot of turmoil this year we faced going into the season there were a lot of question marks yep we didn't have a point guard to start the season yeah and we came out of it with a potential star point guard, which I'm very happy about. Um, you know, with all the Ben Simmons drama, I I would say the optimist in me is like cool. I think for all this season was, I don't think it was a lost season. I don't think so either. And then there's the pessimist Sixers fan in me that it's just kind of like, man, just another second round exit. Like, yep. I think if you look at it from the end result, it's very disappointing because you just wasted another year of Joel Embiid. But I think there's at least still light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. with him, with James Harden, especially with Tyrese Maxey. Just better not trade him or do it. Because, like, Maxey, I think, can give you 20 points a game. I, oh, 100%. Uh, I, I fully – you mentioned him being, like, the hardest worker in the NBA. He's yeah. definitely up there. Uh, would not surprise me to see him make an All Star game here no, in the next. Not year at all. Um, but say you trade Maxi, and you bring in Bradley Beal. You're basically like gaining what six or seven points a night, along with losing defense, all the depth you can get. Yes. Yes. Again, exactly. One of yes, the big one hundred percent. One of the big things about Maxi that I really like outside of his play. Is his contract? He's on a rookie deal. This yes. is what his third year. Yeah. So he'll get an extension this year, and you know they're not. You can. I don't know what they'll pay him. Right. They'll pay him a decent bit. Like he might get. I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and say. You know, Maxi will give you four years, eighty mil. Yeah. See, 90, the, I don't know. Everything's so skewed nowadays. <laughs> well, see, okay. The only problem I see with that is you have to remember who his agent is. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> you, I guarantee you Rich Paul is not going to take anything less than... Like, he. I think 
I think Rich Paul understands Maxie's value, and I'm sure Maxie is like Philadelphia first. Like, yeah, I want to make sure we get a deal done here. But I think Rich Paul is 100% going to make sure he gets every single penny out yeah. of that contract. So that's if there were like anybody else, I would say absolutely four years, 90 million, call it a day. But Rich Paul is 100% going to just drag out as much money as he can from that oh, deal. 100%. You're right. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So, so, Connor. Yes. Are you ready for whatever our version of Purtle is? Per, uh, Burble. Bur- oh, Burble. That's Burble. right. Yeah. yeah. Yes, let me let me get my player I certainly hope you have a player in mind. Normally doesn't take too long to think of one. Usually it takes me a while. <laughs> yeah, all right. I, I think I have mine. Do you want... Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? I will go first. Okay. As in, I will give you my hints first. All right. So, 2013 draft. Okay. Undrafted. Undrafted. 2013 draft, undrafted. Um, Hollis Thompson. No. Okay. I think we did him already. I think we did. I, I felt like Should we Should I did. give you the team he was drafted by? Yes. Golden State. Drafted by Golden State. In 20... Or undrafted by Golden State. Uh, what position? Center. This is a tough one. I won't lie. I can give you a pretty decent hint, though. We've talked about in this episode. Oh, have we? Uh-huh. Undrafted by Golden State. Played for the Sixers? Uh-huh. In the 2014 season. Well, it's not Thaddeus Young. Because I know I mentioned him. Um, 14. Is he, is he on our free agent list? No. No? Okay. No. All right. Undrafted, 2014. Trying to... I'll give you the teams he's played on up until his current team. Golden State. Okay. Then Philly. Okay. Then Orlando. Then San Antonio. Then the Hawks. Then the Kings. Then back to the Hawks. The only team I'm leaving off is his current team. Who? Oh, is it? No, it's not Rudy Gay. No, not Rudy Gay. Twenty. Wow. This is a tough one because because I, I think he only showed up for half the season in Philly. I want you to think about all the centers we've talked about today. Talked about a lot of them. Uh huh. Exclude everything we've talked about on uh, our free agency pickup list. I know that's the thing. Like my mind is just solely stuck on the free agency list. Go back to when we were talking about playoff series. Go back to the second round. Dwayne Dedman? Uh-huh. Okay. It's <laughs> a pretty good one. I told you. It was a tough yeah, one. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. It was a tough one. All right. That's a pretty good one. Um, mine is... Oh, boy. I'm really bad at these. I, I don't think this is as hard as... As Dwayne Dedman? No. This I, this one you might actually get pretty pretty soon. It's um, 2014 draft. Okay. Uh, was not drafted by the Sixers. He was drafted by the Kings. 
I just had the line, the roster up too. What, what, uh, where was he drafted? Uh, like number wise? Pretty early. First round? Yeah. Uh, no, we didn't mention him in the pod today. What position? Shooting guard. Was he drafted by Philly? No, drafted by the Kings. That's right. He was traded to Philly pretty early, though. I can't even think of who was on the 2014. Ah, so much pressure. <laughs> He's actually still playing. Just like spelling fanatics. <laughs> that was pretty pretty good, though. I, I got a free bet out of it that I lost all the money to, but it's fine. That's quite the parlay. Uh, no, I just well, no. well, no, wait, is that you didn't put it on no, that parlay? No, what I did was I put it on when game four of the Heat, I put it on uh, when we were up. 10 in the third quarter. Yeah. The Heat were plus 750 to win the game. So I hedged my emotions. Yeah. So if we won, I felt great. If we lost, I came out with $750. So you put $100 on the I had heat. to put it all in one bet. That was the thing. I couldn't uh, break it up. It was a $100 okay. straight bet. So you put $100 on the Heat to win I game did. four? I did. I, all right. I respect that. I, I know. It sounds bad. <laughs> it, it was to hedge my emotions so that if I came out sad, I came out sad and with $750. That's, that's fair. All right. Back to... While you're uh, thinking on that, uh, I got to say some of the parlays... For the heat series that we had put down. Oh, I'm so like mad. The, the, like 20 leg parlay. I, I literally had a, it was like a 23 leg parlay. Yeah. And it was like the simplest stuff too. It was like Tobias Harris get like three rebounds. Yeah. Tyrese Maxey have two assists. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Joel didn't even get a block that game. No, he didn't. No. Nope. All right. Guard selected early, drafted by the Kings 2014. He's still playing. Still playing. He's actually on a playoff team right now. He, is he? It's not Grant Hill. Nope. How many old guards playing right now? He's not that old. Not that old. Uh, older. Old. I guess, yeah, I guess an NBA it's term. It's been eight older. years. Yeah, but he's still under 30. Oh, boy. Okay, let me go. Th- is it Drew? No, no, not Drew. Drew, no. I'm trying to think what else. Can I give you a hint? He... The school won't help me. I was going to say, he went to Michigan. Oh, Trey Burke. No. Damn. <laughs> it was a decent one, though, wasn't it? It was, He yeah. went to Michigan, right? Uh, I think he did, yeah. Did he play in Philly? No, he didn't. Didn't he? Yeah, he did. Trey Burke, yeah. yeah, he, did. It was, yeah he, did. Uh, he did. He played like the first half of that yeah, uh, season with Al Horford. Yep. And we were oh. all like, why Why won't you play him? Oh. Al Horford has had a very good postseason, and it's been very frustrating to watch yeah. as a Sixers fan. All right, I got to think of the guards that are on the playoff teams now, excluding Philly now, right? Yes. Okay. So Miami, not Miami, you shook your head. Nope. Um... So then it's either Golden State or Dallas. Am I missing one? Oh, Boston. Boston. Is he on Boston? He is on Boston. I don't watch enough Boston. (laughs) I don't watch any Boston. He. I don't think he has played any minutes. I know. I. I, But I. I just. I just saw him game one sitting on the bench. He just signed a two-year deal with Boston. 
Is it Nick? It's Nick, isn't it? It's Nick. It's Nick. It's yep. Nick. Yep. Oh. There you go. There you go. Sauce Castillo. That one's, I don't know why that one was so hard. It was... Uh, my last hint for you, like, would have just given... I, like, the clip of him pouring hot sauce on a basketball, that was my last hint yeah, for you. No, I don't know. What threw me off about that? Probably the Kings. No, I don't even think... It was the 2014... I was thinking 2014 was further ago than it was. Like, guys that came to my mind were, like, Andre Miller... And, like, Ty Lawson. See, for some reason, whenever we do these, Andre Miller is the first name that pops into my head, and I don't know why. Yeah. Or, like, like Ty Lawson, how he played in Philly for, like, kind of some time. Remember your, uh, Danny Granger was, like, yeah, um, supposedly the with the team for, like, an hour, and then we released him? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I actually, JaVale McGee actually played, like, a week for us. I, listen, we're giving away all the good ones. I know. All the good ones. Uh, but, yeah, no. I mean, other than that... That is pretty much it for the Boat Row Boys podcast this week. Um, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Well, <laughs> we are still, we'll be very honest, we're still trying to figure out what's next. We know we're going to continue the podcast as in the next Sixers. season. Yeah. Uh, we've thrown around the idea of doing some other sports. Yes. Uh, whether, probably the Eagles, just because baseball, one, the Phillies are disappointing me. Uh, and two, there's just so much to talk about with baseball. We would almost need to do a podcast weekly. And even then we'd still be covering, you know, four five, six, sometimes even seven games. Really? Yeah. It's kind of hard to cover like two weeks worth of baseball games in, in an hour and some change, you know, we don't want to be doing three hour long podcasts right now. Uh, so we're just trying to figure out what comes next. Uh, if you're listening and you would rather hear us talk about the Eagles, I mean, hell, if you want us to talk about the union, uh, we could start start watching soccer. Uh, yeah. Viva la Mexico. Uh, (laughs) dupe. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we just like, we'll, we'll cover golf. If you really want us to, we can like live tweet a game or something or a match. I don't know the proper term. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure something. But yeah, we, We, uh, we would like to do more with the podcast as far from like, because obviously the Sixers are done, and this is predominantly a Sixers podcast, and we're not really going to be doing anything. Because like the draft isn't really going to matter much to us. No. So it's like we have free agency, so we'll probably do something. Yeah, on we'll that. probably wait until free agency like slows down, and then you know when all the big names get out the way, you know guys that we signed, you know we'll probably sign probably I'm thinking two or three guys. Uh, maybe a trade happens. Who knows? We'll, um, we'll notate whoever was on our list who we signed. Yeah, but we will. Uh, we'll definitely try and and get a podcast out around that time. Uh, but as of right now, like this is pretty much uh, see you next season. Pretty much. I mean, a season finale, I guess, if you will. Yeah, I forgot to bring the like the pop streamers and all the fun stuff to celebrate. So uh, our our first season as a podcast for the Sixers, um, it was a lot of fun. You know, yeah, I we, mean, it's it's just fun getting to talk with people, uh, getting to see Connor's face for an hour every other week. Absolutely. Um, and Lo- again, love just to see Izzy's lovely home. Oh, thank you. Uh, and it's just fun to, you know, we want to continue to grow the BRB community on Twitter, uh, you know, try and just connect with more, you know, Philadelphia sports fans in general, not just the Sixers. Um, we just like talking sports. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's and honestly, we uh, we've kind of kind of found that a little bit more so with, with the Twitter account is uh, 
talking with a lot of fans. Oh, yeah. You know, sparking some sort of, you know, conversation with some people, which is, I mean, that, when we when we came together and we created the, the Boat Row Bullies a Twitter account, let alone the podcast, we were all about just wanting to talk sports with other yeah. Sixers fans. Oh, yeah. Like, we really didn't want too much more than that. Uh, and honestly, like, for what we've kind of developed into and where the direction we're going... Um, I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Oh yeah. And I mean, I mean, and again, we're not a big account and we don't, we don't really care. I mean, this was never about, Oh, we want thousands of followers or thousands of listeners. But I mean, if you guys listen and it pays us, then okay. Um, (laughs) but it's just, it was just more so about talking Philly sports, talking about the Sixers, you know, being able, there's something about being disappointed in Philadelphia sports with other Philadelphia sports fans, that is just so... It feels a little bit better to be mad with everybody else. to know that, you know, me assaulting my pillow watching Game 6, and to know that there's a Philadelphia sports fan out there that, instead of their pillow, assaulted their wall. It's like, oh, (laughs) buddy, I was right there with you. Yeah. You know, and so we just, I mean, I'll be cheesy and I'll say thanks for listening. Um Thank you, yes, for listening. Thank you for following. Uh, thank you for feedback. Yeah, you know. I mean, and again, this we'll be back a couple months. We'll take a break. We'll figure out how to really, you know, maximize the podcast and maximize uh, our Twitter account again. That is at Boat Row Bullies, um, and just keep continue to try and you know bring you the best that we can offer i mean obviously right now we're doing our podcast on a snowball microphone and a macbook pro that isn't even mine it's my fiance yeah we're sitting in my living room so i mean we'll just try and and improve and get better and make the podcast easier to listen to more fun more engaging uh i know we talked about like live like tweeting like live calling games you know like we both hated listening to Game 6 on ESPN. So what if we muted it? Because I know there were some other Sixers fans that didn't like it and just did like a, a joint, whatever those spaces on Twitter are called. Oh, yeah. And or just like call- we call the game or we break down the game. Oh, what? yeah. You know, we do stuff like that. So, I mean, we're just looking to grow and looking to have fun and, and hopefully uh, pick up a couple stragglers along, along the way. So with that being said, we want to thank you, everybody, for listening, following, whatever. Um Stay tuned for what's to come. Thank you. Yep. See you next time. See you next time.